Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of The Man from Uncle by Michael Avalone. Volume 4, Chapter 10 Two More Unfortunates. Napoleon Solo had a dream. In the dream, he experienced no pain or pleasure, only a kind of concentrated euphoria. He was weightless, bodiless, airborne. In an existence which, through vague distortions, told him somehow he was dreaming, that all he saw and did was in no way the slightest bit real. Jerry Terry was in the dream, too. He saw her as he had never seen her before. She was resplendently free and completely unclothed. The sight would have normally delighted him, yet for some reason in his dream it didn't. Instead, it was somehow alarming. It was sinister. He fought to clear his head. She was crouched before him, huddled like some shapely question mark of damp, quivering flesh. Her long, slender arms were encircled with cuffs of some leathery kind. All of her superb figure was taut and stiff, with her face lowered to the ground. Behind her, close to her flesh, he could make out a curious lattice of bars or rungs of some kind. With a sudden start, he realized, or rather he sensed, that the bars and rungs were before her now. He watched through a haze as she crouched and knelt, not standing erect or moving to any degree. It was quite as if she were frozen into this clumsy position of obsequiousness, as though she were humbling herself before some ancient idol. He could see the terrible position had cost her. Her rib cage was drawn taut, showing muscular hollows, and thrusting her chest into a painful cramp of beauty. The long coppery hair had fallen limply athwart her shoulders, dangling like the rest of her. Her thighs shone with perspiration. He could hear the sketchy and pure sound of her breathing. The walls surrounding her were ladders of bars, crossed and crisscrossed. Damp stone gleamed from the wall behind her. Somewhere not far off, he could hear the mossy mutterings of drops of liquid. Water, perhaps. Solo blinked his eyes. It was ridiculous, but, well, there it was, and it wouldn't go away or shimmer into unreality like a dream. She was still half-bent and stooped in that terrible position when he refocused his eyes. And now he sought to determine his own place in the scheme of his dream or his nightmare. He tried to stare down at himself. He was hardly surprised to find that he too was unclothed, that he too was staring at his own kneecaps, performing the same weird ballet as was Jerry Terry. His own lithe body of 180 pounds was contorted and doubled like some fantastic pretzel not of his own making. The trouble was, he felt no pain yet. The euphoria of his dream had not worn off. And dream or not, he and the girl were each and separately imprisoned, like some strange species of bird in awesome cages of iron. Cages large enough to hold their bodies, but not big enough to permit them to stand or lie down, and so constructed that they couldn't even maneuver into a sitting position. There were leather thongs on his wrist, and holding him away from the iron lattice surrounding him. Why? He tried to remember about the debonair. He could remember the MIG, the big round holes in the wings 
and the dizzying spinned into nowhere. It was all hazy. What had happened, really? Was he dreaming or was he dead? Was this reality or simply hell? Himself, who had always loved the ladies, staked out naked in an oval cage while the loveliest lady of his immediate acquaintance was similarly indisposed, a scant but inaccessible few feet away. He laughed harshly, but he did not hear the sound of his own laughter. If this was hell, they had indeed picked the right one for him. And why didn't he feel any pain? Surely the leather thongs had bitten deep into his flesh, and the muscles of his body should be racked and spent from the ordeal. Instead, he felt simply puffy and lifeless, like a wad of absorbent cotton. He closed his eyes and tried to think. He tried to move his leg. It brushed against the bars of his cage. He pulled it back as quickly as his lame muscles would respond. The reason for the thongs was self-evident now. The bars of his cage were electrically charged, and the leather bands had kept his body suspended away from contact with them. But why? Later he heard the door slam. It shut with a dull thump of noise. It brought him back to reality, though the numbness had not left his body. He stared, twisting his stiffened neck away from his arched shoulders to see what made the noise. A man had come between him and the iron cage that enclosed the naked body of Jerry Terry. A tall man, muffled in a long, dark cloak of some kind, wrapped tightly around his neck. Yet if he should have hidden anything at all, he should have masked his face. The dream nightmare continued. The man's face was a grotesque mask of outraged flesh, hairless, nearly fleshless. At some point, the man had been in a great fire that had left his face a skull-like travesty of scarred tissue. His nose was merely a pair of twin holes, studying the distance between the pit of a forehead and an ugly gash of a mouth. His head was an encrustation of scarred dead tissue. Only the browless eyes showed any evidence of life, and the expression they held was, well, not quite sane. "'How do you like the little ease, Mr. Solo?' the man said, his death's head face looming in the half-lead of the cavern. "'The medieval cultures had their interesting torments, did they not? You can neither sit nor stand, nor can you lie down. Fortunately for you, I have strapped you so that you cannot accidentally electrocute yourself. The same for the lady, of course.' Electricity is, of course, a refinement we've added to the original specifications. We like to keep up to date. The eyes and the awful face seemed to glow. You will recover the use of your voice in approximately ten minutes. If you have recovered your hearing, as I suspect you have, please nod your head. Napoleon Solo nodded, trying hard to swallow. Good. The man's voice was as spectral and unreal as his appearance. It was brassy and hollow like the clang of a metal door in a vault. We must talk, even though I have reduced you to these unpleasant extremes. 
Do not confuse the exotic nature of your torment with any wish on my part to be glamorous and occult. Nakedness is a powerful depressant, a humiliation to the feelings of the modern so-called civilized man. It can be used as a psychological weapon, therefore. Do you feel any physical pain yet? Solo shook his head. Splendid. The drug always performs as desired. You would find it useful in your role as enforcement officer for Uncle, but I'm afraid you will never see America again. At least not unless you consent to certain articles of behavior. The same code applies to the lady. I appreciate her beauty, I assure you, and there will be much done to her before she finally ends her usefulness. But we were talking about the drug. It is called anacalanine. One tablet induces paralysis of the vocal cords for as long as two hours. You could imagine the purpose it could serve with prisoners and people. One wouldn't want to have talking all about the place. You are extremely fortunate as it is. Anyone else would have perished in that plane crash. A dull, gnawing sensation of pain began to work along Solo's racked body. It began with a series of faint, hot flushes starting down from his shoulders. The cage swayed above the stone floor, adding to his sense of unreality. It must be suspended from the ceiling, Solo decided, and twisting with effort to look at Jerry Terry's cage, he saw that this was true. Actually, anacalanine also serves as a pain depressant, and seems to affect the hearing as well. There are several qualities of the drug which we haven't quite explained even to ourselves yet. No matter. Now forgive me. My name is Golgotha. You will appreciate the beauty of the title, considering the fact that you must be acquainted with the Christian mythos. Golgotha was the hill shaped like a skull, was it not? The death's head might have leered, but it was impossible to tell. Now to particulars. Since a kindly fate did not allow you to die in the crash, you and the lady were thrown from the plane. Since you seem to have worked the side door open, even in your semi-conscious state, I have granted you a respite from death. Your fine organization cannot hurt us now. We are on the march. This time Thrush will succeed totally. Do you feel any pain now, Mr. Solo? Beads of perspiration had formed on Solo's face. From behind the tall shadow came a whimper of agony from Jerry Terry. The death's head turned to look at her, and there was a strangling noise of terror. Golgotha laughed, his metallic laugh. She's fainted, he said without bitterness. Women always do that at the first sight of my magnificent ugliness. Rather like your Phantom of the Opera movie, I imagine. I saw that many times as a child in Ushpest. Little did I dream that one day I would most certainly resemble Mr. Cheney. He broke off as if he had betrayed himself in a moment of revelation. No matter. 
Your friends are on their way back to America with Mr. Frome's body. They will learn nothing from it. His corpse will be nothing but a skeleton by the time they reach the coast, and your scientists will never trace the impossibly perfect drug which brought it all about. It leaves absolutely no trace. Think of it, Solo, a catalyst that vanishes once it does its work, something your medical science has never encountered before, and, of course, since it will have ceased to exist, cannot encounter it now. Try saying something, please. Solo made a strangling sound in his throat. It was the barest croak of sound. You see, a few minutes more and you will wonder why you couldn't speak when you wanted. So let me tell you my new offer. As I say, you must die. But everything has two sides, even in the matter of dying. You may die swiftly and without pain. Swallow a simple tablet, lie down, and it's ended. Or you can die by degrees, slowly, and with such monumental agony you will scream and beg for the peace of death, which I will not give you. "'unless, of course, you agree to the conditions of my proposal.' Sola closed his eyes. The pain had begun to rise in waves of agony, washing down his back and thighs. He bit his lips. Golgotha would not have the satisfaction of seeing him come to heal. "'You hear me, Mr. Sola? Not if you do.' Napoleon Sola nodded. Excellent. My request is simple. I want the names and locations of each and every agent known to you in the entire uncle organization. This will be extremely valuable to us, you must realize. When Thrush assumes its role as world leader, we of the Council must be certain that there are no small pockets of resistance left. It is imperative that we destroy Uncle. You should feel flattered. We respect your organization. We regard it as our greatest threat. Do you understand? Tell me what I want to know, and we will inject you with a pain-killing drug that will nullify the effects of anacaline. You will have only to draw up a chart containing the names and whereabouts we require. Solo's mouth worked. He gasped for sound. The drumming fiber of Golgotha's voice was sending rivers of agony into his ears. Another minute more of this would be too much. What? What? Try, Mr. Solo. You should have a voice by now. But, but... It was impossible. Solo could feel the tautness of his throat. Breathe deeply. Shout if you must. Hear yourself. The girl same thing? Golgotha's eyes glittered coldly. Of course. I will even spare her the amorous natures of my colleague, Mr. Solo. I'll 
do it, Napoleon Solo whispered. But first, sleep must sleep out of my mind with pain. The cage seemed to shiver with vibrations. Golgotha stepped in closer, peering into the eyes of the man crouched before him. His voice was a menacing murmur now. Good, you will not be sorry, but please remember this. If you have agreed now only to say no later, you will be more sorry than you can possibly imagine. You may fool me now, but my wrath will make the gods cry out in pain. I promise, damn you, the needle. I can't stand this. Golgotha studied him intently for one second. He dug into the folds of his dark cloak and produced a flat, black medical case. Fanning it open expertly, he selected a long hypodermic needle from a velveteen bed of similar objects. Napoleon Solo's eyes followed his every movement. The bareness of the room was still unreal. It was as if there were no door, no window, no sound from anywhere else in the wide, wide universe. Golgotha came closer, pointing the needle at Napoleon Solo's bulging right bicep. His tongue clucked approvingly. His face, like a distended Halloween mask, was horribly near, bobbing through the metal bars of the cage. Your arm is like stone. I will loosen your bonds and open the door of your cage. You must vex your arm, Mr. Solo, to restore the blood circulation. Solo nodded quickly, his eyes almost pleading now. With grim speed, Golgotha stepped before the cage and unlatched a fitted section of bars. Magically, a door swung outward, showing freedom. The skull-faced man began to unwind the leather wrappings that bound Solo's right arm to a crosswork of bars. It took a mere ten seconds to loosen the cuffs. Like a dead fish, Solo's right arm fell to his side. His fingers were as senseless as if they had never been alive. Golgotha stepped back as Solo's body sagged through the narrow opening of the cage, half in and half out his left arm still fastened by a thong to an iron bar. That's it. Work your arm up and down till the sensation returns. Otherwise the needle will never penetrate your arm, I'm afraid. Your muscles are like rock right now. Solo nodded, gasping for breath. Golgotha saw the giant tendons popping in his neck. Better now. The needle, now, please, Solo gasped. Golgotha, eyes glittering, stepped forward, and Napoleon Solo's free right arm came down in a murderous swath of released fury, meeting him full across the neck where it joined his cloaked shoulder. It was a blow that hammered Golgotha down to the stone floor, stunning him. Chapter 11. Terror Walks Underground Napoleon Solo stared down at the crumpled, cloaked heap that formed the man who had introduced himself as Golgotha, 
member of the High Council of Thrush. Dimly, he fought against the agony in his body, even as his right hand worked loose the stiff leather cuffs that bound his left arm to the cage bars. A dull haze of enormous weariness of body and spirit hung over him like a shroud. He only knew one pounding truth, one complete clarity. They had to get out of here, he and Jerry Terry. Golgotha had underestimated him, as so many of the enemies had in the past. Golgotha had miscalculated the time. True, the pain would emerge when the drug and a calaline wore off, but Solo had triggered the error in Golgotha's eyes by acting the part. He had bargained for one chance in a million and won. He shook his head to clear it. His body damp and aching, his eyes explored the empty dungeon. The bare walls of stone and the faint suggestion of moisture mocked him. Shaking himself, he stumbled to where Jerry Terry knelt, caged as a rag doll. It took him a great deal longer to ease her carefully from her cell. When he caught her in his arms, her weight nearly bore him to the floor. Her body was cold and stiff and nearly lifeless. He slapped her swiftly across the face, hard. The sound of short, sharp smacks echoed hollowly in the room. Her eyes opened. She saw his face in sudden joy reflected in her eyes. Then she remembered, and her mouth formed another scream, and he slapped her again. Listen, there's no time to talk. Pull yourself together. We're okay for a while. Solo, I'm so tired. Please try. Try or we're done for. He left it at that and moved back to the inert man on the floor. It took an age for him to pull the voluminous cloak away and examine the tall figure. Solo's eyes saw the withered, burned flesh of the man, but his brain made no comment. His fingers found the flat medical case and thumbed it open. He tried to think. The pain was beginning to build in earnest now. He groped for the hypodermic needle lying on the stone floor. The gods were good. It was intact. He examined the contents of the case with painful slowness. There was a tiny vial of amber fluid lying in cushioned safety in the case. He didn't stop to think. He didn't dare consider the possibilities. Grimly, he refilled the hypo and found the soft area of his arm below the bicep. He jabbed the needle home and worked his arm up and down, wanting the painkiller, if that's what it was, to work swiftly. He moved slowly back to Jerry Terry. She was huddled on the stone floor, arms closed over her naked chest. Her entire attitude was defeated, dull, lifeless. Solo smiled bitterly. Golgotha had been right about that, for all his hideous theatricality. Jerry never saw the needle or felt the thrust. He patted her gently on the shoulder now. Her head came up, and their eyes met in mutual sympathy. Terry, we're going for broke. I'm with you, Solo. Good girl. Pull yourself together. I'll get you out of this. Promises, promises. Her plucky talk was infectious. It was talk he could always understand. 
He had never had much time for people who felt sorry for themselves. And magically, almost miraculously, he could feel the agony ebbing away from his limbs. Golgotha's panacea was already working. He went back to Golgotha and bent over him. The karate blow was good for at least twenty more minutes, sometimes, depending on the man's physical makeup, more. Solo raced through the cloak, turning it inside out. By the grace of those same gods, the man was a souvenir collector, not one to leave the spoils of war to the hirelings. Golgotha wore a blue shirt and blue trousers under the cloak, a uniform of sorts, with a leather belt complete with assorted weapons, one of which was Solo's own very special S-automatic pistol. A quick survey of the pockets turned up Solo's compass watch and a ballpoint pen, which, in addition to writing with ink, also spurted tear gas. His wallet was not in evidence, but that meant nothing. With an almost intoxicating sense of elation, Solo relieved Golgotha of a compact Luger and three clips of extra ammunition. There was nothing on the man to indicate any connection with Thrush. Solo turned to see how Jerry Terry was doing. He was pleased to find some color back in her face, and the sagging, defeated look was gone. Are you game for some more double plays? he asked. She nodded. Anything to get out of this place. Good girl. We can't operate like September morn, so the next best thing is Dream Man's clothing. I'll take the pants and shirt, you take the cloak, unless you're squeamish. He's as small as they come, and it's twisted his mind, but we can't walk out of here like nudists. We'd be a bit too conspicuous. Anything you say, Solo? He nodded. No telling when his team will show up. His body is covered with scars, so if you don't want to look, don't. He didn't wait for her answer. Golgotha had moaned faintly. It was hardly a sound, but Solo bent swiftly to the unpleasant task of undressing the man. It took a full five minutes of struggling exertion. Golgotha was tall and heavy, despite his lankiness. Solo left him lying face down on the stone floor. His inflamed, withered flesh revealed to the light, grotesquely unreal in t-shirt and boxer shorts. The clothes were a bad fit on Napoleon, but they would serve. He rolled up the cuffs and hitched the belt a notch tighter. The cloak, a heavy woolen affair with poncho-type sockets for Jerry Terry's arms to thrust through, would at least keep her warm. Well, she sighed, look at us, dressed for the ball. And we look a sight, but like the man said, what do we do now? The door. Huh? It's time to take a look outside. That door is thick, or else no one's been on guard duty. In any case, it's high time we found out just how bad off we are. He motioned her to the other side of the door, which was no more than a slab of stone set tightly in the wall, with an iron handle jutting from the mass. Golgotha moaned again, and Solo cursed, as he stepped quickly to him. He wrapped the skull quickly with the butt end of the luger. Golgotha subsided once more. They waited at the door listening. No sound issued forth. Solo frowned. He didn't like the silence or the fact that no one had showed up in all the time Golgotha had been with them. 
Possibly the man had issued strict orders for everyone to keep out. Twisted egos always had their shortcomings, and one of them was the me-me-me attitude. Solo gestured for Jerry Terry to step back. He took the iron handle and turned it. A latch clicked. Carefully, he tugged the stone backwards. There was a sudden wash of cool air from the outside. Solo peered quickly around the rim of the door. Semi-darkness met his eyes. He blinked. A dim glow of light, as though from a miner's lamp, filtered toward him. He stared at the ground. It was damp, muddy. That was strange. Golgotha's boots had been dry. He signaled Jerry Terry to follow him. She moved swiftly, cloak wrapped around her shapely figure, her long copper hair flying. They were in a tunnel of some kind, long, low passageway with timbers and beams shoring the sides of the earthen ceiling. Cool air was fanning through the tunnel from some distant unseen opening. Solo closed the stone door and held his left hand behind him for Jerry to take. She squeezed it warmly, and they pushed on through the dimness. The shaft narrows suddenly, forking in two directions, like the crossbar of a T. Solo hesitated as his eyes tried to search the darkness ahead. Grinning to himself, he moistened the forefinger of his right hand and held it up. Almost immediately, the influx of air evaporated the dampness on the right side of his finger. God bless the Boy Scouts, he murmured. The clinging mud beneath their feet was firm enough to allow easy passage. Jerry had no shoes, and her bare feet made a slick, slapping noise. It was unavoidable now, and too late to remedy the oversight. Solo puzzled. What could all this lack of protection mean? No sentries, no guards, no security. Was it possible that Golgotha had handled the two of them all by himself? A lone wolf caper to bargain for higher power in the Thrush Council? No, that wasn't likely, and yet there must be some explanation for all of this. It was beginning to look as if they could walk right out of the spider's web and into the sunlight. Up ahead, the glow of light widened. The darkness was dissolving. The air current had increased in volume. He knew they were getting closer to the surface, without not knowing how far was down in the first place. Then they both heard the sound. It came suddenly, with frightening loudness and nearness, a roaring, rhythmical throb of gigantic pistons of some kind. The beat mounted with ear-shattering violence, they flattened against the earthen walls of the passageway, trembling and waiting. Then the sound ended as abruptly as it had begun, and the new silence was awesome. Solo licked his dry lips. What was that? Jerry whispered. Turbines, pistons, I, I can't say. Maybe there's a plant overhead. Maybe. Let's keep on going and play it by ear. They moved on again toward the light. It had seemed closer than it was. They panted down the passageway, feeling their path in the gloom. Solo didn't dare risk using his pencil flash. They'd been too lucky as it was. 
The roar of engines throbbed again. The sound had faded somewhat, meaning they had passed beneath it a few minutes back. But the pounding, humming noise was eerie and somehow terrifying. When silence fell again, Solo realigned his grip on the automatic pistol. No telling what lay ahead now. If Golgotha had been discovered, well. Solo saw the man before the man saw him. He drew up so sharply that Jerry Terry ran into him, but she had enough presence of mind not to cry out. Solo held her back, flattening them both against the passageway. The man up ahead had his back to them. He was a silhouette framed against the daylight. He wore a uniform of some kind, belted, middle, puffy jodhpurs, and boots with a peaked helmet. More importantly, a stocky, ugly-looking grease gun was cradled in the crook of his arm. Solo pushed Jerry Terry back. Stay here, he commanded. We can't walk past that one. He'll have to be taken. Be careful. He smiled to himself at the obviousness of her concern and moved steadily along the wall. The man was a scant thirty yards away. Thirty yards and freedom. But the grease gun was something to think about. It could spray them down in seconds, and no real marksmanship was called for. Solo held his breath as he swiftly and soundlessly bridged the gap between them before he made his move. And then he stepped on something that snapped in half with the loudness of a pistol shot. It was a dry twig. In the mud of the tunnel of all places, the irony was too cruel to be funny, and Solo did not feel like laughing. He was caught flat-footed. The man with the grease gun revolved as though on a swivel. His gun came up, and his hoarse guttural voice cried out challengingly. His cry echoed down the passageway. Vastistas! Napoleon Solo fired, straight from the shoulder this time, a steady burst of three at the shadowy figure framed in the entranceway. The tunnel reverberated with the sound of death.